0: Peace to you. Welcome back to the Naked Truth and thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off in what we call the Old Testament. We made it to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. So Suddenly, the person we're talking about as the king is the person being addressed as the king is David, the same David and Goliath, David. Now, the first king of the Israelites, Saul, has died in battle. He's been not even in battle. He was wounded in battle and he died by suicide, assisted suicide, uh, to be exact. The first one in the Bible. Um, So he's gone. Now he's been succeeded by David as king. Um the same uh shepherd boy who defeated Goliath the giant is now king of the people. Um and Lord here, just so we um just as a footnote, the word Lord is in all caps and it's being translated from the name Jehovah at this point in the story. And as we've read before, it's not consistent. Sometimes it's different words that are being different names, different entities that are being addressed as Lord or called Lord and God throughout the Bible. That's just the case in this instance that it's Jehovah. Um, Let's see. So, verse 2: that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. So, David is um, saying that the ark, that's the same. If you've ever heard of the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Indiana Jones movie, it's the same ark that's being referenced. In that movie that they were, we're talking about here, it's a holy relic by the religion of uh, one of the religions of the Old Testament. And remember, there's lots of different religions throughout the Bible, not just one, two or three. Um, but the one from the Old Testament uh, that we've read about here, that we're reading about here, it, that's the ark that's been referred to. It's something like a chest um, that contains the Ten Commandments that were written in stone, the first and only ten that were given to Moses, not all those other ordinances and statutes and dogma that later evolved from uh, the religions of the Old Testament, but just those Ten Commandments, that Thou shalt not kill, Thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not this, Thou shalt not that. Those ten, that's what all the original ten. And uh, a jar of the manna, the bread that was miraculous, miraculously provided for the people when they were um, emancipated from slavery in Africa as they journeyed through the wilderness. And um, a staff, the walking stick or shepherd's staff that you may may think of it as, that Aaron, the first priest of the people, used when um, he was alive. He's gone, Moses is gone, and the only thing left of um, that era is the Ark of the Covenant, and that's what's being referred to here. And David is saying that it's being housed behind in a tent while he's living in a splendid, splendid, um, palace, basically. Um, verse three, then Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Okay. So one last thing, Nathan now apparently is sort of, is the acting, uh, prophet of the people since Samuel, um, has passed away. He's gone the same person that this book of Samuel is named for. So it lets us know also that this is, not something Samuel is writing even though the book is named for him in the same way are similar to how those first five books of the Bible are called the five books of Moses even though Moses couldn't possibly have written them because he also had passed away along the way um but whoever it is that's narrating or who scribed the story of um to this point has um included it's been included in the book of 2 Samuel um, so, but Nathan is now the one who's basically succeeded Samuel. He's the prophet of the people, and um, and just like you see in movies where, um, like, the Lord of the Rings type movies, or the um, um, oh, the more recent one, I don't know why it's in my mind now. Um, uh, well, they'll have like a religious person that's sort of like the second um, to the king that gives them advice. Sometimes they'll look like wizards or witches and they'll have uh, all sorts of different tools that they'll use to do prophesying or oracles for the king. It's that same sort of role that the high priest or the prophet in this case, Nathan, is playing to David. And he's telling him that whatever it is he's thinking he wants to do, go ahead and do it because God is with him. So verse four. But it happened that 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 night. Then the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, so you see um, there, Nathan gave David advice presumptuously. He told David, go ahead and do what's on your heart, because God is with you. And I'm just saying God and Lord, because that's how I read, it reads Reads Lord here. But um, like I said, different entities and words, names translate to the word Lord in English. But just for simplicity's sake, I'm just going to say God and Lord and interchangeably when it refers to whatever entity or deity they're referring to. Um, So anyway, Nathan gave him that message presumptuously without actually praying first and consulting the Lord to see what the Lord would have him do. And we've seen before that's been sort of a fatal mistake made again and again. Moses did that and um, others since Moses have done that and then they paid a big price for doing that. So in this instance, though, Nathan did it, and instead of uh, everything proceeding with the prophet's word before the prophet consults the Lord, now the Lord is giving the prophet a message, letting him know, hey, hold up, wait a minute. Verse 5, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? So now Nathan's been given the message from the Lord to um, go and let David know, give david a message specifically from the lord not what the prophet would say not his own words like you see preachers and priests and so forth do um throughout time but as you know especially in modern times they stand in the pulpits giving you a message that's supposedly from god or let's say in christian christianity they give you a message that's supposedly christianity and yet it's not red letters it's not anything jesus said so is it actually christianity I'd say, no, it's not. But so the same thing happening here. The prophet, the per, the religious leader has given David a message, but it turns out that wasn't the message that the Lord would have him give. So in this instance, the Lord is intervening and um, telling him, no, give him this message and let it be known that it's from the Lord, not from the prophet. Um, and the And the message is a question of would David, a human, build a house for the Lord uh, a spirit to dwell in um, So let's see how that goes Verse 6 For I have not dwelt in a house since the time That I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt Even to this day But have moved about in a tent And in a tabernacle So before we go further should, or just, If you've read with me before then you um, probably know what I'm going to point out here That even though they seem to be having these interactions With the Lord Conversations and Communications back and forth with the Lord that contradicts what the Christian, what the Christian part of the Bible says. The um, once you get into the New Testament, the Gospels, we read there. Say, for instance, in the book first in the book of John, chapter one, the very beginning of that book, it lets us know that no one has heard. It says anyway, no one's heard God's voice or seen God's form at any time. And Jesus also um, says something similar uh, in the Gospels. So. How is it that people in the Old Testament are having these conversations, communications, in some cases meals and even physically wrestling with God and even beating God in a wrestling match if uh, both of those can't be true. It can't be true that people are having those interactions in the Old Testament with God Almighty and then in the New Testament you hear that no one's seen God or heard God's voice, much less wrestle with God at any time. So if you're a Christian, as I self- identify as i choose to embrace what it is jesus says since he's the head of christianity um at least so um why would you take anyone else's word for it so including anyone else in the bible but it's always believe what you want to believe just point it out to you so you realize it's a contradiction and when there's a contradiction you have to choose what's righteous what's not what's right what's wrong what's true what's false um but as always believe what you want just so you keep that in mind. So now it's saying that the Lord is, uh, the message anyway, is that the Lord has been dwelling in tents and on the move ever since the people have been on the move when they were emancipated from enslavement in Africa. Um, and so, um, it seems that that's, what's being brought up to David, um, by, through the prophet Nathan, that the Lord hasn't been dwelling in any particular building at all, but instead has been dwelling in those tents and making appearances to the people along the way. And that is how, according to the narrative, the people were interacting with the Lord up to this point um, in tents. They'd be traveling about in tents like nomads. And um, they had a particular pent- tent of meeting where only certain people were even allowed to approach it and have visitations From the Lord Um, again, but that contradicts what we read in the New Testament. So it's an article of faith, depending on what your faith is. Verse seven, where wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So the Lord is saying here all this time and it's been hundreds of years since the time of Moses, when uh, the people reached the promised land to this point. So the Lord is asking, well, have I ever demanded you build me, say, a church, a synagogue, a temple, a mosque? Have I ever demanded it of that of you or the people before now? Um, that's what uh, the message is that's being given to Nathan to take back to David from the Lord. Verse eight. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from the shepherd, I'm sorry, from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. So now um, the message continues to remind David of his humble beginnings, that he started out as a shepherd following sheep. And now he's being chosen to lead the people as king. Verse nine, and I have been with you wherever you've gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. So um, the fact that the Lord has delivered David to this point from Dave, from uh, Goliath, the giant who he was fighting with, from the animals that he deal with when he was shepherding the, ant- the, the sheep, and even from the battles and wars that he's instigated and um, fought in, and the ones that he didn't instigate, and then also the raids and things he's gone on where he'd be, um, stealing, pillaging, and plundering along the way. He's being reminded that the Lord has been with him all those, all along the way and gotten him to where he is to this point. Verse 10, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people. Did we skip one? Let me see. Oh, and he's also been reminded and being told that he's going to have a name, a great name. He's going to go down in history basically. And all of that's been true to this point, since David is one of the um, better known figures in the Bible around the world, Whether whatever religion you are, lots of people know of the battle of David and Goliath, even if they don't know any of the other parts of the story. They know the David and Goliath story. They know David and the book of Psalms um, at the very least. Uh, verse 10, Moreover, I will put a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. So um, here it seems that the Lord is guaranteeing um, David and the Israelites uh, a place of their own where they won't have to move about anymore like nomads, but instead a permanent place for themselves. Um, And when it's referring to sons of wickedness, oppress them anymore. I'm not really sure who that is because they were already delivered from enslavement in Africa um, by all those different spectacular miracles and supernatural events. So it's probably not referring to them. It could be referring to the Philistines who are their enemy to this point that David has not only fought with, but also aligned himself with and sought asylum from and gotten it from them. So I'm not really sure that it'd be them either. Um, But so I'm not sure who's referring to as the sons of wickedness um, who are oppressed them. Um, But it's basically saying that David and the people are going to be guaranteed liberty. Verse 11, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you, and he will make you a house. Um, so it seems, okay, so David is apparently delivering the message. Now, to, I'm sorry, Nathan is delivering the message to David, it seems. It's not that this isn't the point where the message is being given to Nathan. It seems like it's um, transferred to the point where Nathan is giving the message to David by the way it reads. Um, either way, the message is that um the liberty is being guaranteed to David and to his people. He, he's being assured of that and um, rest from all the struggles, the wars and such that the people have been facing along the way. Um, and also going to be guaranteeing David a house, a dynasty, as it were, um, legacy um, for his part in the big picture of things is how it reads. Um Um, But there is one part of that that's sort of deceitful in this message where it's saying that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. That's sort of true because really that's one of the places where Moses uh, presumptuously spoke to the people and made a commandment for the people. He was told that he would be the judge over the people Moses alone and that the people were going to appear before him to basically judge between right and wrong for the people. Moses seemed to be wearing himself out doing that since the people and the people also standing all day in line waiting to be seen by Moses to be judged over the different issues that would arise. And instead of Moses consoling the Lord at the point of at that point in the narrative to figure out what to do to make things smoother or more efficient, Moses consulted his father-in-law and he had more than one father-in-law. Um, when he was in Africa, he, um, wedded someone, and he also had another woman along the way that he wedded. Um, So just as a side note there, probably married to a Black woman. He himself also, Moses, was probably dark-skinned, if not Black also. Um, Just as a footnote, how things get whitewashed so you don't think that everyone we're reading about looks a certain way. But either way, the point is, Moses consulted his father-in-law and his father-in-law is the one who told him that what he's doing isn't, basically isn't efficient and that he should appoint judges over the people and let them help in judging the cases. So um, it's not really true that the Lord commanded judges to be put over the people. That reads like it might just be religion creeping in there because that's what happened. Judges were set over the people. And then once that happened, then all those ordinances and statutes And dogma were also set up over the people. Um, At least that's the way it reads uh, when we've read it so far. Um, Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So now it's looking forward to uh, the generations after David that are going to also be rulers over the people. And for sure. That happened to be true, and so that's where um I mean as far as Solomon goes, because Solomon, the famous Solomon, is gonna be David's son and also gonna be the next king. But then that's all that also is gonna say, uh, points to the fact that some of this is written retrospectively, so it's hard to know if these are prophecies that um were written and then came true, or are they prophecies that someone retrospectively looked back on and said oh, okay, this is a prophecy and it's come true if you understand what I'm saying. It'd be like someone writing about a weather forecast um, for tomorrow, but instead of writing it today, writing it tomorrow and then saying, oh, there, and then it rains and then say, oh, the forecast was for rain. Well, maybe that was the forecast or maybe you lived through tomorrow and saw that it rained and then wrote down that, oh, tomorrow it's going to rain. You see what I'm saying? So there's, uh, it's hard to tell whether it's a prophecy and then it came true or whether it's someone who looked back on the events and said oh this was what the prophecy was and then it came true so it's it's kind of hard to tell there which is the case which one is true and what's being what's happened whether it was fulfilled or whether um, someone waited till it happened then wrote went back and wrote these things either way it's saying that David's going to be guaranteed a legacy after him, of children or at least uh, one child to come from his own body, who's going to be a king after he is king and after he's passed away. Verse thirteen: He shall build a house for my name, and he will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, um, it's it's forever means forever. It doesn't mean temporary or from here until then. It means forever. And yet we've read again and again. Or forever isn't always forever. There are statutes that are forever statutes, and then they change. So that says to me, could that really be from God Almighty? Why would God Almighty say forever, and then it not be forever? It doesn't make sense. The only way it makes sense to me is that, like I said before, the the entities and deities that people throughout the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament to this point, are calling Lord is not God Almighty. It's just the entity or deity that is being worshipped at the time and being identified as their Lord. But it doesn't mean it's God Almighty. It just means that's who's being worshipped at that time as the Lord. But it seems to me it can't possibly be God Almighty because why would God Almighty, again, say forever and then it not be forever, such as those different dietary rules, just as a as an example. Why would God say um, that people are supposed to have a vegetarian diet and that that's what people are supposed to eat and I'm just saying that paraphrasing it because it says every green herb and that's in Genesis. And that's supposedly the commandment for the human diet from the start. And then suddenly it changed to after the flood, you could eat anything that moves. And then it changed again to what we think of as a kosher diet, where you have to you can eat this, but you can't eat that. All supposedly dietary restrictions given by the Lord. And yet changing again and again and again and being called forever, yet they're not forever because they keep changing. So once again, why would the Lord say forever if the Lord doesn't mean forever, unless it's not the Lord saying it? Um, So anyway, um, David's being guaranteed a kingdom that will last forever um, from his descendants. And his here is lowercase h for his. So it can't be talking about the descendant of David, who we know as know of as Jesus, since Jesus' um, lineage traces back also, according to the Bible, back to David and um, the patriarchs before him. Um, but it's not referring to Jesus there; it's talking about Solomon. It would have to be or one of his other sons or descendants, since it's not a capital H. So this wouldn't be a, a prophecy pointing to Jesus specifically, um, it seems to me. Um, But let's just keep reading. Verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. So now it's saying um, uh, the relationship between David's descendant will be a father-son relationship. But here again, son is not being capitalized where his father is. So it is talking about God, supposedly talking about God Almighty, but the Son is not talking about Jesus. It's talking about David's descendant, other than Jesus, one of David's descendants, other than Jesus. And I think specifically, it's talking about Solomon. It's being, uh, it's a prophecy for David that his son Solomon would um, succeed him and have that same connect, a similar connection to God that David does, where he's going to have. Um, These direct contacts with God and um, interactions with God where if he does the right thing, he'll be blessed. When he does the wrong thing, he'll be corrected. Seems to me what is being said by verse 14 and not, again, a prophecy of Jesus. Because what iniquity did Jesus commit? None that we know of. None that even the people who were behind his trial and crucifixion could point out. Um, So we're not it's not talking about Jesus in that verse, although other verses in the Old Testament do point to Jesus. I don't think that that's one of them. Verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. So there again, it's um, another um, thing that seems inconsistent. Why would God choose a person who is thought of as upright in God's eyes to be ruler over the people? If God knows that that person isn't going to be consistently faithful, which Saul was not. So and yet Saul was the one chosen. And even the selection of Saul is inconsistent. It started out with saying God doesn't see people. And I'm paraphrasing it. But when Saul was chosen by by God, according to the narrative, through the use of Samuel, the prophet, selecting him, it was specifically said that God doesn't see people the same way. People see people. God doesn't look at the appearances. God doesn't judge by the appearances. Um, and yet, then right after he was chosen, it was pointed out again and again how Saul was more handsome than the other people. Saul was, Saul was taller than all the other people. And that that was what was so appealing about him. So it was just another inconsistency that leads me to believe that it wasn't God Almighty. But instead, whatever other entity or more than likely, more likely even than that, just religion. And retrospectively looking at the events that happen that are um describing the events that way. Um, but I could be wrong. I'm just saying that's how it reads to me. Um, so anyway, now it's being reflecting back on the fact that Saul was chosen and um um God's uh favor shine on him for a while, but then it departed from him. And when it departed from him, it kinda drove him it drove him kind of crazy. That's when he started hunting down David, chasing him wherever he was at, going from place to place, trying to kill him. And um, part of that was the fact that he knew someone had been chosen to succeed him, Saul, that is, um, that David had been chosen, that someone, he didn't know it at the time, um, but that David had been chosen to succeed him as king. So it kind of started driving him kind of crazy is the way it read. Um, But also because David was involved with Saul's son, Jonathan, um, as his soulmate. And that also seemed to displease Saul along the way. David was also married to Saul's daughter, uh, Michael. Uh, And that also wasn't pleasing because he took her from David and gave her to someone else. Like you would give a car to someone else. Um, Just as things that we've read along the way. So you understand where we're at at to this point. Um, Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So um these are the assurances of the message, a part of the message that Nathan was given, according to the narrative, from God to give to David. Assurances that his kingdom would be established forever. And in a sense, um that part has come true. Um, in the um not in the physical sense, since the kingdom isn't what it used to be the temple is gone the temple hadn't even been built to this point the temple that david is thinking of building hadn't even been built to this point but it has been built it's been destroyed it's been rebuilt it's been destroyed again so um uh, that's not what was established forever um david has come and gone solomon has come and gone so that's not been established forever either so when it says forever here that could be, the only way it could be true, would be as if it's an allusion to the fact that Jesus would eventually be um, uh, in David's lineage and come and his mission would, and ministry would arrive and then be established forever since that. It's been 2,000 years since the time of Christ's mission in the flesh on the earth, um, and that seems, at least to this point, to be lasting forever, Um excuse me that would be the only way I could see that that prophecy that he's being that Nathan is being given to give to David could be true because otherwise it's just also it's also just not true. Uh, the religion or at least one sect of the religion that David and Jesus were born into still exists to this day Judaism but the other parts of it the temple, the temples I should say and so forth, don't exist to this day. Um, verse 17, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So now um, it's be, we're being um, uh, clear. It's retrospective, letting us know that Nathan received the message and then he went and delivered it to David. So it's not being delivered contemporaneously, like Nathan writing this down saying, oh, and then the Lord said this to me. And then the next step is, Then Nathan went to David and gave him this message. No, it's sort of all being completed together. The message being given to Nathan and being delivered to David, all being grouped together in this uh, chapter. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, O Lord? Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you brought me this far? So now David sometimes displays things like this. Acts of humility where he's not acting all big and bad, but really humbling himself before the Lord. And Lord here is being translated again from Jehovah, Um, but um, that's when it's on all caps. When it's not all capitalized, but capital L-O-R-D, lowercase, then it's being translated from the word Adonai. And God, in all caps, is being translated from the word Jehovah. But then it's not a capital Y or Y, as we'd say it in English. It's a lowercase Y. So it's kind of confusing. Whereas when it's all capital L O R D, it's a capital Y, Jehovah. So um, figure it out as best you can. I'm not a linguist. I'm definitely not fluent in Hebrew. um, So I wouldn't understand. I don't understand how it goes back and forth through all these things, uh, different translations, other than, again, the word Lord in English is translated from many different words and names throughout the Old Testament. And that's as, uh, that's as simple as it is for me to understand. So anyway, now David is um, seems to be praying to God and humbling, humbling himself, saying, Why do you see me as such a great figure that you do all these things for me? Verse 19. And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this, is this the manner of man, O oh Lord God? So this seems to be just like a humble speech, that, uh, a humble prayer that David is making to God saying, what makes him so great in God's eyes that he'd make such great promises to him, a human, a person, uh, a man to uh, guarantee him a kingdom and even a lasting di- dynasty after him verse 20 now what more can david say to you for you lord god know your servant so now david is saying what else is what else can he say what other how else can he add, what else can he add to his prayer other than the fact that god knows you god knows the heart god knows his heart and um so what more can he say verse 21 for your word's sake and according to your own heart You've done all these great things to make your servant know them. So David is saying um, God's own goodness has made, has revealed all these things to David along the way. Uh, The deliverances from his different enemies, the deliverances from uh, deliverances from Saul trying to kill him again and again, from the Philistines, from the animals when he was a shepherd, and then even delivering him to this point to be king over the people. Verse 22, therefore, you are great, O Lord God, Uh, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. So, again, Lord and God are being translated from one particular word and name, Jehovah and Adonai. Uh, Although in this case, Lord is in all caps in this verse, and it's not being translated from Jehovah. It's being translated from the word Adonai. And God, which is not in all, Lord, in all capitals, whereas Lord was, is being translated from the word or named Jehovah. I guess it's a word, Jehovah, since it's not a capital Y. So again, make sense of it as best you can. I'm just telling you uh, so you understand along the way. And God is being translated from the word Elohim, which is a plural uh, word. So It sounds like more than one God there. Um, So again, make sense of it as best you can. Um, And just in case you did your first time reading with me, um, I'm using the uh, site, blueletterbible.org website for this reading. And it's of the New King James Version of the Bible um, that I'm reading it to you that gives these different translations of what the words come from, what they were originally in the transcripts and scriptures. And um, and how different they are from the English translations, just so you understand. And in case you're interested in seeing what it is, how these different words translate Lord and God, for instance, and how inconsistent it is. Um, if you want to search that out yourself for a better understanding, maybe you'll get a better understanding than I have. Um, so anyway, David's continuing his prayer basically to God and he's including praise in his prayer, um, and the fact that uh, there's no god like God, um, at least, no, and he, that's what he's saying. Verse 23, and who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth, on the earth, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people, whom you redeem for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. So now he's um, pointing out the fact that the Lord seems to have established a unique unique relationship with um, the same people that David and also Jesus was born into. God, here again, is capital G, God, but it's from the word Elohim, lowercase, which refers to a plural, not a singular God. Um, You know, again, just as a footnote to understand how these different things change and how they're translated. And lowercase g gods at the end of that verse is from the same word Elohim. So it lets you know it's not specifically talking about one singular God, but God in general. So again, make sense of it as best you can. Uh, but again, like I've said, again, and again, I identify as a Christian. So I don't believe this is God Almighty no matter how it translates to, I don't think these interactions are with God almighty. I believe it is supernatural. It is divine. It is um, who they're identifying as God, but I don't believe these interactions are with God almighty, but that's just what I believe. Verse 24, for you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever, and you Lord have become their God. Um, So I think, and it's just my opinion the, um, the fact that they're that the people of Israel, the children of Israel, the um, people who, are, who David and also Jesus were born into the religion they are part of was, is considered special. But I think it's considered special because it's the people chosen that Jesus would eventually come through for us Christians to save humanity as a whole, not just one particular race or nation of people. I think that's why they're considered the chosen people, because that's who Jesus would eventually emerge from, and also because they would document their lineage, at least as far as we have it here in the Bible, so um, uh, consistently, and um, it would remain for these thousands and thousands of years. I think that's the point of them being the chosen people. Not that they're chosen because they're more righteous than any other people, they themselves according to what we've read know that according to what the different prophets have said from Moses and on, it's been specifically noted that God didn't choose them because they're more righteous than any other people. And, um, and it's pretty harsh the message that Moses delivers when he says that they're a stiff necked people, basically a hard headed people. And that that's not why they're being chosen, but because, um, for other reasons that that's why God chose, um, This nation of people specifically and that's not me saying it it's what it how it read um so again i think it is chosen because that's how that's the lineage that jesus would eventually emerge from and that's to my in my mind the main reason that they're chosen as the chosen people because remember once jesus uh brought his ministry he didn't affirm all of the messages from the old testament he affirmed what we call the ten commandments and not even all of them and um and introduce a whole new message as the completion, the fulfillment of what the Old Testament presents. Um, But that's just my understanding of it. Again, make sense of it how best you can. Just reading it. Um, Verse 24, For you've made your people Israel, your very own people, forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Verse 25, Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house establish it forever and do as you've said so now david is sort of wrapping up his prayer uh after giving praise after giving thanks basically and now saying that god do your will god's will be done you've promised me these things fulfill your promises he's basically saying go ahead and do what you've said you're going to do establish the kingdom through me that you promised uh verse 26 so let your name be magnified forever saying, the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. So he's basically ending his prayer with saying, do what you said you're going to do. God's will be done. Verse 27, for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. So um, David is saying, it's because you said these things, you promised these things, you prophesied these things, you delivered these things in a message from Nathan Nathan to me, David saying it. Um, so since you chose to say those things, go ahead and do what you've said. Verse 28, and now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you've promised this goodness to your servant. So now David is saying you said it. So since you said it, go ahead and do it. You promised it. Go ahead and do it. Um, Do what you said. Basically, um, maybe demanding that the Lord do what the Lord has promised, do what the Lord has guaranteed. I'd say even when we pray, that would be a good uh, way to pray. When we pray, use the words that as Christians use the words that Jesus said as a sort of way of reminding the Lord or maybe even not even reminding, but confirming the prayer with the words of what god said with what the words that jesus said and if you're of another faith of the bible using the old testament words that are uh, whatever part of the bible your religion because remember there's more than one affirms so um it's in the case of christians when we pray say what it is we're asking for and then use the words of christ as part of a agreement for the prayer. Like you said, ask and you shall receive. So I'm asking. So I'm praying that you do what you said and let me receive what is I I've prayed for. That's the same sort of thing that David is doing here. He's saying, okay, well, you've said I'm going to get all these things. You said you're going to establish all these things. So since you said it and you can't lie and won't lie and you're God, then do what you said you're going to do. So that would be what you do. I would say if you're, a religion of the Old Testament. And if you're a religion of the New Testament that's not Christianity, say like Catholicism, then use some of the words that Paul um, introduced, the teachings that Paul introduced. Um, none of them come to mind right off, but some of them are there. Let me think. Um, oh, it's been so long since I've read any of those um, tenets of that religion that none of them really come to mind. Um, But if there's something you believe that he said, then use those as your um, part of your prayer. And um, when you pray and bring those up as part of your prayer, I would say, um, just like David is doing, bringing up the things that Nathan told him God said to him. He's bringing them up to make sure that God knows, hey, I know you said that. So since you said that, do what you said. And then that way, it'll also be a way of proving whether what you believe in with your faith is in the right thing or not. Or if you're exercising your faith properly, because it still may be true and you just may not be using it uh, the proper way or the accurate way or the righteous way. And that may be why it doesn't come to pass. But so David is that's what David is basically doing the way it reads. He's saying, well, since I've been delivered this promise from God, I'm going to make sure I remind God of this promise when I pray and uh, basically dare God not to fulfill God's word. Um, verse 29. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever for you uh, forever for you. O Lord, God have spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant, de- let the house of your servant be blessed forever. So, again, David is ending his prayer with saying, well, since you said it, Lord, I'm holding you to it. You said it's going to be established forever. You said you're going to do these things and establish my kingdom, then go ahead and do what you said you're going to do. Since you're God and you said it, go ahead and do it. Um, So similarly, when we pray, I'd say use that same approach. Remind the Lord, mention in your prayers um, the fact that the Lord said these different things about asking, you shall receive, or where two or three are gathered together in my name. I'm there in the midst of them. Bring those things up when we pray to make sure that, um, I say, to make sure we Say in our prayer that the Lord knows we've, we're focusing on as Christians, focusing on the red letters and aware of those red letters and bringing to God's memory those red letters that we're relying on those red letters, the things Jesus had to say as our guide to be true, so that um, they don't fail us when we pray for them, um, so that at least we fulfill that part of the requirements of the prayer to hold God's. Um, Uh, hold God to God's words, to do, to perform what it is we're praying for, since it is what Jesus delivered as the message for us. Um, But as for the message, that was the last verse in this chapter, so that's where we'll end this message. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth, and I hope you'll join me again. I love you, God bless you, and peace be with you.